And I know that each church has its own worship style, you know, which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship, some people more subtle, and it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's, um, it's a hand-raising church. That's what it is, right? That's what, you know, anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Anybody here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? <laughs> Some of you are trying, you're like, I can't. I want to, Tim. I need to get some momentum. <laughs> totally cool. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us, feel free to join us, but don't feel like you've got to join right in, okay? Start slow. We've got a lot of different hand-raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand-raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say you're at my church, music is rocking, start slow. Hands in the pockets, a little elbow flap, you're fine. Very subtle. Get warmed up. Get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you can go out there. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Grace. Next one's hold my baby. Hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. We got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn, right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You can take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. <laughs> Release the doves, give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. <laughs> and when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. There's your big three. How are you guys doing out there? There's the light. Whoa. <clears throat> How you all doing? Good? Listen, before we actually get into the message, uh, I just want to uh, update you on a couple of things. Uh, last week, we had Greg Zimmerman up on stage. He was brought to have cancer treatment, uh, the lobe of his lung taken out. Uh, I found some spots there. I've been in touch with him pretty much every day since the surgery, and he just wanted me to send uh, his thanks for your prayers and concern this week. Uh, doctors believe they got every bit of the cancer, um, and he is recovering. Yeah, it's uh, amazing, amazing stuff. Um, and anyway, he's probably going to get out of the hospital today. He said he felt like a Frankenstein uh, experiment. He had tubes coming out of every place. Uh, but essentially, you know how anesthetic works. It kind of shuts your body down. So things are getting to start back up again. So as soon as they all get working, he'll get out. So I'm thinking he'll probably get out tomorrow. So keep him in your prayers. Uh, last week, uh, I don't know if you've known this or not, but she's kind of an invisible person for us. Allison, or Elena Sitterson uh, works for the State Theater, uh, does the box office and a million other things for, for the theater. She just moved to Colorado this week. I uh, would be joined with her uh, family out there that moved a year ago. But she, uh, we had a little luncheon for her after the uh, service last week. I don't know if you can see this, but she, uh, noticed, she notified the State Theater that she was leaving. On the State Billboard, she had put, I quit. A lot of fun. I mean, she's a great kid. Anyway, she wrote a note for us, uh, and she, I thought I would read it to you just to let you know how much you guys mean to her. She says this, Everybody at the Surge is awesome, triple hearts. <clears throat> 
Thank you so much for working with me these past few years. I'm grateful that I've been able to participate almost every Sunday with such a loving group. I sincerely wish you all the best. Know that I will miss you a lot. And she has old things. She says, you guys can call Collect anytime if you need somebody to help you get out of jail. All right? And he also says this, please take care of Spike for me. Is Spike back there? Yeah. Uh, obviously, Elena loves you to pieces, man. Uh, I'm sure it's uh, reciprocal. Anyway, there you go. It's cool stuff going on. Uh, well, we're going to take a, a break between the two message series that we've just done. We just finished up Goal Line last week. We're going to be uh, getting into our annual New Life, or New Life, <laughs> the Surge at the Movies series next week. I think ease up for uh, Finding Dory, right? Yeah, you're okay. Um, uh, but we're doing make a little mix up this. I've been kind of pondering a subject for about uh, six months uh, <clears throat> on the subject of worship. I hope you got a kick out of uh, Tim, Dawkins, or Tim Hawkins there on worship. Uh, it probably won't surprise you a great deal that the folks who are on the worship team, uh, many of us engage in conversations about worship all the time. Uh, we talk about you know, what we're doing, how we're doing it, uh, about our own motives, about our own hearts. Uh, we talk about how to lead you guys into worship, how to make sure we're not getting in your way. So I just want to spend a little time this morning talking about worship specifically. I think I'm going to come at it from a slightly different angle than you might expect. I'm, hope, I'm hoping that it will be helpful, that it will free us up a little bit and have us have a little more confidence in God than maybe when we first walked in. Let me just pray for us and then we'll, we'll get cracking. Uh, God, thank you for being here. Thank you for your love for us that is uh, almost unimaginable. Uh, we know ourselves. We know we're not that lovable, but yet you loved us, made the ultimate sacrifice for us. We don't even understand why, but we accept that it's true. Thank you for this time we have this morning. Pray that you would, you would enter our hearts, but also our minds, that we might be changed. In Christ's name, amen. I want to do something as we kick off, something we never do really here. Uh, but if you could stand for just a, a couple of minutes, I've got a text on the screen that's coming up, Psalm uh, 100. I just would like you to read with me this particular psalm. Now, I've noticed something. Uh, at the end of each of these sentences, there's an exclamation point. And sometimes you don't know there's an exclamation point until you get to the end of it. I love Spanish, and my uh, two granddaughters are learning Spanish, and they love it because there's always an exclamation po point upside down on the beginning of a sentence, and then an exclamation point at the end that's right side up, so that tells you right away that you're going you're to be doing something that's exciting. So when they see an exclamation point, they kind of give it a little bit of extra fervor because they, they like that, they're kids. So let's read this together. Uh, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So go ahead and take a seat. Um, when you look at that passage, and you just kind of imagine what's going on in this, I think it looks, I, I, what I imagine is this guy. <laughs> this guy is pumped about this God he's serving. He's got a pillow that uh, he's elaborating on the things he loves about this God. He rattles off the things he likes. He's celebrating, but he's not content just to celebrate by himself, right? I mean, he's encouraging everybody else to join in. You got you to come and share this God with me. You got to get in here and do this with me. So listen, th this type of thing 
isn't just for church. I think as I've observed human behavior uh, over the years, it's a common trait among pretty much every human. I've traveled uh, pretty much all over the world, and one thing people wanted me to do wherever I went was not only to allow them to tell me about the stuff that they love about their country or their city or their land or their people, but they wanted me to get to love it too. They wanted me to experience it with it. They would take me places. You got to see this. You got to see this. Uh, whether it was the beauty of the land or the artistry or the food they ate, uh, the music, the culture, the people, the architecture, the landscape, whatever it was, they, they, they loved it. And they were celebrating it, but it, they weren't content to just celebrate it by themselves. They wanted me to join in and do it with them. And, and gotta, I got to tell you, you and I do this all the time. I think, I think, in fact, all humans do it. We just don't normally call it worship unless it's in church. But God has designed us to love things. He's designed us to celebrate things. And he's designed us to share. And that's simply all worship is. Loving something, celebrating it, and sharing it. Uh, let, me, let me illustrate. Everybody remember Terry Forrester? Terry and Sue? Uh, one of the first things Terry did with me when we first met them, uh, our introductory session was uh, at a place called Joe's Burgers over in McLean. And what have I done since my first visit to Joe's Burgers? I tell everybody I know about Joe's Burgers, how good it is. I encourage them to experience it for themselves. And I invite them to join with me anytime I can get a chance to go over there. It's the same with right next door, right, Claire and Don's? If you love something, you become an evangelist for that something, whatever it is. We do this with movies. Uh, I showed you the 60-second uh, review as I started the message series today uh, with La La Land, right? Why? Because I love La La Land. I'm a, I'm a bashed fan of La La Land. Uh, when it was over, I didn't want to get up. I wanted to stay in the seat and watch it again. Only the popcorn sweeper-upper, you know, bashed my chances to do that. I had to leave. But listen, we do this with new devices. We do this with jobs. We do this with sports teams. We cannot help but do this. And if you think you're immune because you say, well, I'm not going to celebrate what everybody else is celebrating, what do you do? You try to gather around you people that don't like that thing either. And you agree to celebrate and share the fact that you don't like that thing. You can't help but celebrate together. Everybody worships. And the truth is, much of the pain in your life, my life, our lives, probably can be traced back to the things that we worship that we shouldn't have. I mean, if you banked your life on your spouse, you banked your life on your kids, you banked your life on your bank account, you banked your life on your job, you banked your life on your president, they're going to fail you. Those things are not designed to bear up under the weight of your worship. They were not meant by God to handle that pressure, so they will ultimately betray you. So that, that is, if you will, the big picture sense of worship. Let me just bring it down into the church a little bit. If, if you have a church background, my guess is 100% of you, when somebody says the word worship, what you think automatically is, oh, that's singing. That's the singing part. If I come out here and say, we're going to worship the Lord, you might, oh, okay, that means we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sing some stuff. Now, worship can be singing. Certainly can be. And God is serious about his people singing to him. We see it all through the Psalms. For example, Psalm 96, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. But when God commands his people to sing, <laughs> listen, it's not because he's lacking something or needs something. It's because he wants something in us to happen. God, God I know, this might surprise you. God has never really had a tough week. 
He's not, he's not sitting around depressed, not, not knowing how he's going to get his energy up to handle another week. He doesn't need us to re-energize him. And singing as worship is not about him getting his act together and getting, you know, fired up and focused because we're encouraging him somehow. He is trying to stir something in us. And now music is powerful, right? I mean, even an old song can remind you of things. It can remind you of joyous times. It can remind you of some time God maybe really worked in your heart. And a song can also maybe remind you of stupid things that you did, some painful memories. But worship, while it can be singing, isn't exclusively singing. It's far more. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, tells us that we are to present our bodies as Christians as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, because that is our spiritual, what does it say? You can read it. Act of worship. 1 Corinthians 10 says this. We read that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we are to do it all to the glory of God. That's worship. So worship can and should encompass really the entirety of our lives. At work, at home, on vacation with friends, with our money, whatever. Worship can cover a ton of things and you can engage in it pretty much anywhere. Even if you got this guy's job. You probably need it. Worship a lot more if you got that job. But today what I want to do, I want to zero in specifically on worship and what it means to gather here on Sundays. What the heck is going on with worship when we get together? And I want to come at it from a slightly different angle than you might expect, because I think there are some gaps in our understanding that lead us, one, not to make being here a priority, and as a result, diminish our ability to grow as Christians. So here's the truth. Throughout Scripture, God has shown himself very serious about his people coming together to receive words of warning, encouragement from each other, encouragement from him, uh, admonishment, whatever as well as to praise him. I've got a passage in Leviticus 8. How many people have their favorite book of the Bible? It's Leviticus. Nobody, right? But there's some good stuff there. Uh, here's a passage. Listen to what it says. God's talking to Moses, and he says this. Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Tent of meeting was simply the tabernacle or the church in the middle of the desert. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. Now we see throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that God gathers his people together apparently to do something as they're gathered together that he can't simply do with them as they're scattered all over the place. Through the scriptures, God seems to be up to something in a corporate gathering that he's not simply up to when people are all, all by themselves. It kind of clues us in on why we need to be here when the church is gathered. See, the whole idea that you can love God desperately and not love, not participate, not be fully engaged in the life of the body when it's gathered is flawed. It's flawed. Nowhere in Scripture is gathering together for worship optional. God has saved us to himself, but he has saved us to a people. He's put us in this very imperfect community for his glory and ultimately for our good. And he is up to something in the gathering that's not just his presence, but his active activity in our lives. More passages, Hebrews 10. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We can go to Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, not all by yourself, one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. Chapter 3 of Colossians is all about, if you read it, how to grow spiritually. It wasn't just given to you for your quiet time. It's to be read aloud in the sanctuary. It's to be proclaimed in the gathering of the saints, what the Bible calls people who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I could literally take every one of these passages, throw them away, and put 10 more in that emphasize the importance of God's people gathering together. You're going to find through the history of Israel, for example, feasts and festivals that God ordained where all the people were supposed to get together, all work was to cease, they all got together because God seems to do something in a corporate gathering that he doesn't do when people are scattered all over the place. Implicit in this, these texts we read is kind of a truth I think it's easy to miss. Usually when we talk about worship, uh, even worship here, we talk about coming into the presence of God or being in the presence of God. We ask God to descend and fill the place. Right? We kind of want, don't we kind of need, don't we desire this kind of being stirred up by sensing God's presence? Maybe we kind of want experiences like we had maybe at youth camp where, you know, you're sitting around after a play, day of play and all that kind of stuff, doing your own personal devotions. You're, you're around the campfire. It's night in the woods. The fire pit's going. There's some guy with a guitar. and They're singing some songs, kumbaya, whatever. And then there's a really cool gospel message and people are like, just sense the spirit of God just descend on the place. Hearts are broken. People are repenting, accepting Christ. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. It really is. And just, you want that kind of thing in a church, right? You just kind of, something magically happens and you just kind of float out of here going, man, God, it's so good, it's awesome. You know, you just feel that. So I don't want to take anything away from the presence of God. The presence of God is an awesome thing. We should want it. We should ask for God's presence in a way that is different than just him being omnipresent everywhere, right? But what I think happens when the emphasis of worship is all about God's presence and the feeling that we get when we sense him, what I think gets lost in that emphasis, is that we can conclude, if we don't feel that, that nothing happened. But follow me here. The reality is this. When we gather together, God is not just present, but he is active. In the reading of his word, he is active. In the singing of God and to God, he is active. In the praying of God's people together, he is active. In the confessing of sins during communion, he is active. In the worship of God, when we put things in those little boxes in the back of the sanctuary, he is active. Even in the crying out to God in the middle of the service, God is at work shaping, molding, moving in us, whether we get some kind of a spiritual high or not. If that's true, if that's true, then when we gather, it's not merely about what we bring to God, but what God is up to as he moves among us. So think about this. If you've been trained that worship is all about what you bring to God, that you've got to bring your A game, well, that leads to some silly things, I think, that are just kind of incompatible with the real world we live in, the broken world we live in. You want to know what it's okay to bring, you and me, to worship? To Psalm 51. The sacrifices of God, what you want to bring? A broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. In other words, God seems to love the mourning person, the broken person, the person who doesn't have enough strength to even smile anymore, much less raise her hands or clap or dance. 
One who can't even sing because of the tears. Tears maybe from their own sin. Tears maybe from just life happening. See, my point is, when worship together is reduced to some supernatural or emotional experience, anybody who walks in here who's exhausted, who's heartbroken, who's beaten down, there's no place for that person. There's no place for them to simply fall on the ground and say, God, I don't think I can make it another day. But Psalm 51 says this, that is worship. When we think about worship only in terms of what we bring as opposed to what God is up to, we rob ourselves of the ability to believe that by faith, God is here. He got here before you did this morning, by the way. He's not abandoned us. And he's at work right now. What is it you think you bring to worship? Your voice? Compared to the majesty of God in the creation of the universe, how impressive is your voice? Now, some of you are going, now, I know my voice sucks. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm saying if you've got a fantastic voice, if you are the most gifted instrumentalist ever, do you really think, you really think that when you compare that to the expanse of the universe, especially when you think about the fact that the skill you are exhibiting, God invented and gave you a slice of, that somehow you're impressing him by worship? What do you think you're doing that's wowing him? I think when we think we have to bring something to, to make God be active, it puts a weight on us I don't think we were meant to carry. What we celebrate and worship that is that our God loves us, that our lives are his, and that he is faithfully working on us and in us and through us. Not that we have to give him something to kind of stir him up to care about us. Is it not true his care for us was demonstrated fully in the cross? It's already happened. We don't have to do something to energize him. So given this, given this, we are not wasting our time today. The God of the universe is working on us. He's transforming us. He's changing us. There's going to be seasons when you actually feel that happen. It may be in this room. Yet the truth of God's word is that whether you feel it or not, it's happening. It's like watching your kids grow. So you can have your eyes on your kids 24-7 for months. And you're never going to see them grow, right? But all of a sudden, they just grow out of clothes. How's that happen? I think every parent I've ever met has uh, put their kids to bed. And then the next morning, the kids come down the stairs and they go, you go, whoa, what just happened? That, that doesn't look like the kid I put to bed. It, it, oh, something's happened. They're two inches taller. This is how we grow spiritually sometimes. For those of you who are tithers, tell me if this isn't true. You heard message after message after message after message about how God blesses a cheerful giver, blesses those who are sacrificially giving. That means you can, you can identify the things that you're doing without so you can give. You heard message after message, and you fought them off for years. But there was a cumulative effect. And someday you heard a message, and God stirred your heart and your mind to actually believe it and to decide that it was for you. It wasn't that God was actively working just in that last message. He was working all along. So worship, it's singing, but it's not just singing. It's what God is doing as you sing. You and I should have come in today because we know. We anticipate that he is here and that he is going to work on us. Maybe I'm going to get to feel that. Maybe I'm not, but he's going to work on us nonetheless. He will transform me. He will push me closer and closer and closer to be like Christ, whether I feel it or not. By faith, I'm going to believe that he is here and that he who began a good work in me is going to be faithful to complete it. 
And one of the ways he has ordained for me to actually allow him to complete it is to gather together with his people, not neglecting that gathering as is the habit of some. It has been said by somebody that no man can have God as their father who does not have the church body as his mother. God intends something incredible and divine to happen in this space. So when the music plays, it's to afford us the chance to praise God for who he is, what he's done, what he's continuing to do, what he's going to do. When the music played, did you praise him? When the word is preached and read aloud, gets God speaking to us. We just stood up and read five verses. When we did, God spoke. Were you listening? When you pray during communion, God hears us. Do you pray? When we confess, he forgives our sins. Do you confess? When we cry out for his help, he hears us and responds. Do you cry out? See, worship of God gives God the opportunity, the opening to our hearts and minds to work on us, in us, and ultimately through us. So we come together as the children of God. And by faith we believe God is here. He's not abandoned us like this girl was. That regardless of our circumstances, he is for us. He's working for us, on us. He's changing us. He's moving us closer and closer to look like Christ. And then in that gratitude, things start to flow out, right? Maybe out of that overflow of gratitude, you sing loudly. You clap. You bow down. You stand up. You sway. You dance. Whatever. The same worship service might have all of that activity, including someone sitting and weeping. All of that can result from worship. I think sometimes, as church people, we have been stunted by the demand for the spectacular, for the unique. I don't know what it is. We want spectacular, we want unique. They go, well, you know, we're meeting in a theater. Lots of churches meet in theaters. What's the difference? What's the uniqueness of us? Lots of people have cool bands. What's the uniqueness the spectacular nature of that. What, what, what are we going to do to kind of wow anybody? A lot of people speak, preach the word. A lot of people use funny slides. What's unique is that you're here. The uniqueness is that God is here and you are here. You're nowhere else. You're here. So he is at work on you minute by minute. <clears throat> I think historically, if you look at the history of the church, there have been some miraculous outpourings of the Holy Spirit. I don't think those have sustained the people of God for very long before they begin to worship the outpouring and not the one who did the outpouring. All too quickly, they turn from God and turn to the miraculous, the goofy stuff that we like to, to celebrate. So, do I want to experience the incredible, special presence of God in a worship service? Absolutely. Do I want people healed of diseases? Absolutely. Do I want miraculous things to happen in our body? Sure. I, but I do not want to neglect the simple truth that God is here, that he's working, that he's moving, and that he is always up to something. He's always doing something. Make no mistake. We live in a world where real wounds happen. Hmm? Some of you are firsthand recipients of some of those crushing things that have happened to you in your lives, your families. Worship does not demand that you walk in here with some smiley face. Worship for you in that situation might just be sitting and sobbing. According to the Bible, we have an empathetic Savior, a sympathetic Savior who's been through everything you've been through, all of the horror of life he's been through, and he's going, you know what? 
He's not sitting there going, oh, come on, snap out of it, celebrate, dance around. He's not doing that. There are wounds that can scar us for the rest of our lives. Now, God can use those wounds. He can heal those wounds. We can get some distance from the loss, from those betrayals, from the brokenness. Maybe the pain isn't totally gone, but we can begin to see that God is still in charge. God is still overall acting. God is for us. There's a right understanding of worship that follows that, right? It's not what I'm bringing. Not what I'm bringing to the table. All I really have to bring is my own brokenness and the own mess. The own, my own mess in my heart and my mind. But God is still active regardless. God is at work. He's making a way. He is accomplishing something in me, for me, through me. Makes worship something God is up to, not something I have to bring to manufacture. I've got to tell you, that's freeing. It's freeing. So gratitude can flow and move into thanksgiving and postures of praise and all that kind of stuff. But I've got to tell you, Praise also leads to this. Worship also leads to obedience. Uh, there's a cool little chapter in uh, Psalm 95. It starts off with this incredible like, call to worship. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation! Exclamation point. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise! Exclamation point. This guy's getting after it. I mean, he's got a guitar, he's on stage, he's rocking and rolling, he's got Phil Collins on the drums, he's churning it up, he's getting people excited. But it's not just for a few verses later that you hear this. For he is our God, and we are his people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your father has put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Here, here's what's happening. It's a reference back to when the people of God, having been rescued out of slavery in Egypt through miraculous signs and wonders, they're now in the wilderness. And every day, in the heat of the day, there is a cloud that God has placed over them to keep them from being burned up. And at night, God places a pillar of fire in the sky above them so they don't freeze to death in the cold of the desert. But they start grumbling. Eh, God's abandoned us. He's not taking care of us like we thought he would take care of us. He's not doing what we think he should do. So in Psalm 95, this incredible text that opens up with this incredible coming together and worshiping and clapping and singing and dancing and all that kind of stuff, he says, worship, worship, when it ends. You've got to, re to remember, you've got to have a renewed faith that God is, that he's not abandoned you, that he's for you, and that should lead you to remember, not to accuse him of that, and to actually move in ways that suggest you believe in him. You lead, it leads you away from the goofy stuff, leads you away from the sinful activities. See, what I'm trying to free us up here from is the idea that you and I have to perform in worship. What happens in worship is that we, by faith, believe that God is here, that he has worked for us, that he's currently working for us and on us, and then in gratitude, we can respond to that, but not by bringing our A game to wow him, as much as simply believing by faith that he's here and that he's working on us, that he loves us. And then armed by that truth, we can simply let the gratitude of our hearts pull us from there. So if singing a song resonates with you, and you want to sing more loudly, do it. You want to raise your hands, do it. But just realize, raised hands is an international symbol for surrender. The world knows that everywhere. Every culture knows that. So if you're raising your hands, and the intent of your heart is not to completely and wholly, utterly surrender to God, can I just tell you, all you're doing is working some arm muscles and shoulder muscles. That's all you're doing. 
But if your heart and mind is surrendering, then raise them with gusto. You can use all the moves Tim Hawkins told you about. And if you're exhausted, you've been sick, you've been ill, you've been betrayed, maybe you've been messed up, maybe you've been fired, maybe you're running on three hours of sleep for five straight days, but you came anyway because you know that God is here, God's people are here, and he's going to do something. You just barely made it in the door, though. You know what? Sit down. Heck, lie down. It's okay. It's not like God is going, man, after all I've done, you're not going to bounce all over the place. That's not what's happening. The broken and contrite heart, he will not despise. God sees the heart. See, you and I can perform for one another. We can put on a show for one another. But you can't put on a show for God. You can put on a show for the Christian sitting next to you. Raise your hand, tap your chest, whatever you want to do. But that stuff never fools God. So the best way that we can worship is honestly. It's you and him. All this is rooted in the reality that since you walked in here, God was already waiting for you. And God has been working ever since. Let me just bring us back full circle. We gather together to worship. He's been active. Because we have been designed to love, to celebrate what we love, and to share what we love. All those things lead inexorably to sharing. C.S. Lewis said it this way. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes our enjoyment. His argument is this, that the joy we have in something, Christ, for example, isn't fully matured until it's celebrated and shared. This is why we talk about Claire and Don's. That's why we talk about this new movie, this new device, the new house. You see a show on Netflix that you love and you got to tell everybody about it, right? This is Lewis's argument. It's why we are always talking about the things that we love. So here's a test. Here's a test for how much you and I love God. How much do you talk about him in your circle of influence? How much do you talk about him in your circle of influence? You talk about all the other things you love, your car, your house, your job, your new thing, your new toy. Maybe I shouldn't have gone there, but I think I should have. We can't help but talk about, celebrate, and share with everybody we can the things that we love. It is not church nature. It is human nature. So we just mixed up our service a little bit today to give some opportunity for worship. Maybe to implement some of the things we're talking about, maybe learning during this message. We're going to have communion coming up right now. And I'd remind you that there are offering boxes in the back. We're going to sing some too. But remember, the worship isn't just singing. And the worship isn't what's happening up on the stage. I don't know how some of you came in this morning. Some of you may have hopped in here. You may have bounded in here. Some of you may have limped in here. And some of you felt like you were just barely crawling in. But since you arrived, God has been here. He's been at work for you and in you. And that's awesome. Whether or not you felt it, let's pray. God, how so many times we make what's going on in the Christian life about us. When in reality, it's all been you. Our very lives as your children. You. Any joy we've experienced, you. The things that we like to eat, you. 
The air we breathe, you. The friends we have, you. Husbands we have, you. Wives we have, you. Kids we have, you. It's all about you. What are you going to do this morning? What do you want to do this morning? What do you want to do with me? What do you do with us? Pray during communion, Lord, you might strike us to to reflect on who we are, what we've done. Maybe there's something that needs to be repented of. Maybe there's something we need to ask forgiveness for. Maybe we need to confess to you. Thankfully, you are a God that loves us so much. You are faithful and just to forgive us. But we got to ask. Maybe we need to pray to you. He says, you hear us. Maybe we need to pray. Maybe we need to sing. Maybe we need to, maybe we need to cry. Maybe we need to sit. You lead us in worship.